Well, hey, everybody. Hopefully you're well, wherever you are, wherever you're watching from today. It's so great to have you again with us for our series, Faith for Exiles, as we're journeying through this book and the key themes and principles of what it means to be a resilient disciple in our moment and in our time. And we're just gonna take some time to talk about the next principle together. So if you have a Bible, uh, you probably do, because you probably have a phone nearby as well. Why don't you fire your Bible on or open it up to Mark chapter one. Mark chapter one. We've been putting the building blocks together of these principles that are really from data from the Barna Group showing what are the practices that resilient disciples do. And it's been really encouraging to see for our community what we can be doing and practicing as a practicing community to enact this way in which we follow Jesus, but also practicing things that have been proven in the lives of other people. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus gets on the scene, and if you know the story, he comes proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And there's an interesting story here that evolves about what Jesus is doing and thinking about his ministry and his, and his calling, why he's on the earth, compared to his disciples. Let's take a second and just read it together. I want to show you how this evolves. Mark chapter 1, verse 14 says this. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, the story evolves. We don't have a ton of time to read it here, but Jesus actually begins to heal people. He drives out demons. The disciples think this is absolutely amazing. And you got to think in their minds. They're probably seeing Jesus do all this stuff, and they're probably thinking, thinking to themselves, let's build this thing up. Let's get the road show going. Let's get everybody coming for their healing. Let's do this. I mean, let's, let's just get this baby going. But you keep, continue to read. It says in verse 35, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. So, Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they explained, Everyone is looking for you, Jesus. And Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. And listen to what the the text says. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Interesting, isn't it? The disciples are like, bro, we need to stay here. We need to stay here. We need to set up shop. We need to start our mega church and get everybody to come right now. I can just see it. James, the disciples talking to each other. James, you do the website. Peter, why don't you do kids ministry? Even though I don't know if that's a great idea, knowing Peter from the Gospels. And you can just feel it. that The disciples think we are going to take over the world. And what does Jesus do? Jesus says no. Jesus says no. The key point here is that Jesus knew exactly what he was called to do. And in return, he knew exactly what he was called not to do. Jesus, deep down in his bones, yes, fully God, fully human. Jesus knew his calling deep down. You know, the word vocation is not necessarily found in the Bible. You're not going to find it in scripture or find a scripture and verse that uses this word. But just like Jesus, each and every single one of us needs to work towards discovering why we are here on planet Earth. We need to discover 
our vocation. Parker Palmer puts it like this. He said, the word vocation itself is rooted in the Latin for voice. Vocation does not mean a goal that I pursue. It means a calling that I hear. Before I can tell my life what I want to do with it, I must listen to my life telling me who I am. I must listen for the truths and values at the heart of my own identity, not the standards by which I must live, but the standards by which I cannot help but live if I am living my own life. He goes on and says, before you tell your life what you intend to do with it, listen for what it intends to do with you. Before you tell your life what truths and values you have decided to live up to, let your life tell you what truths you embody, what values you represent. Ultimately, our vocation is what you cannot go on without doing. Our vocation is what you can't go on without doing. It's like a musician who cannot go on without creating music. Or the builder who just has to build stuff. Or the writer who cannot go on without sharing their craft with the world. An example of this maybe could be a pastor dude, right? Who knows he's called to pastor and lead others, yet he does everything within his power to run from that call. He knows he could make money in business or maybe law or teaching high school somewhere, maybe as a history teacher. Or maybe he could even be a sports broadcaster or maybe even the coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs because he knows he could do a better job. Just saying, I know a guy. Yet, pastoring is something inside him, something that he can't run from. This is what is vocation. And each of us that are listening and joining us today, each of us have a dual calling, right? We have a general calling. We have a general calling to be be a disciple or an apprentice of Jesus. We obviously have the calling of the great commandment to love our neighbors as ourselves, love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. We know we have the calling of the great commission to go go into the world and bring the hope of the gospel there. So we have that general calling, but I'd also say we have a dual calling. Each and every single one of us has a personal calling where we are unique and we are wired in a certain way to steward what we have for God in the world. We're called by God, just as proto-human in the garden, Adam and Eve, we are called just like them to join God in taking the creation project forward and to take this creation project into the world. And so there's a bit of tension here, right? Because we know we don't live in an Eden state. We know we don't live in in perfection or shalom. This world is marred. It's tainted. It's bruised. It's battered. It's been turned upside down because of sin and rebellion. And our relationship, we see this in Genesis 3, with the ground is under the curse. It's interesting, in Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. It's crazy that we have this call to provide for our families, and yet we also have the tension of our calling. And listen, I'm not naive. I know that in a broken world, there are crappy jobs. There are things that we do that are not fun in our work. Sometimes we can glamorize when we talk about vocation. We can kind of glamorize it as though there's no bad jobs in the world, or none of us have worked in environments we don't like. 
I also know that many of us feel like we are call- what we're called to do is not what we're doing right now to support our families. I get the real tension here as we talk about voc- vocation. It's funny, a little while ago, I heard somebody say this. A musician is someone who loads $5,000 worth of gear into a $500 car to drive 100 miles for a $50 gig, right? Some of you, are like, yeah, some of you that love music, you're like, that, that, that is my life or that was my life. There's tension between our calling on our lives and providing for our families. And for many of us right now, what we do nine to five is not what we really feel like our calling is. And that's okay. That's okay. I think we need to live in that tension a bit. And ultimately, the goal is to work towards where those two things could intersect. What I do with my life, with my hands, my feet, my mind, whatever I'm going to do for work, if it could intersect with our vocation, that is one of the goals we work towards as Jesus followers. Is it always a reality? Not always a reality, but that does not change the fact that we have a vocation. The authors of Faith for Exiles, they say this, vocational discipleship means knowing and living God's calling, understanding what we're made to do, especially in the arena of work, and right-sizing our ambition to God's purposes. And they go on and they talk about how resilient disciples are God-centered and they're thinking about work and calling. And what I want to do today, as we talk a little bit about this, is get us thinking right about our work and our vocation and our calling. You know, for some reason, there's been a huge disconnect between the church really pouring into people's work. We have often thought that certain things are spiritual and other things are not. The churchy stuff, you know, coming together and doing what we do as a church, well, that's really spiritual, but what we do for work isn't, and I want to shatter that into a million pieces today, okay? Now, there's a table here, just some research that Barna has done and the authors talk about, you know, what builds resilient disciples? What they've learned is what builds resilient disciples is a well-developed theology of work and calling. Just listen to some of the statements that they put out there and how the different groups of exiles responded. What about this? I want to use my unique talents and gifts to honor God. Resilient disciples responded to this at 94%, while prodigals at 13 What about this? Christians are called to do their work with integrity, no matter what type of work. 89% of resilient disciples responded as affirming and strongly agreeing with this. What about other questions like God designs each person with a unique calling in their life, or I believe that all the work I do is important to God. Look Look at the stats between those who have walked away and those who are resilient disciples. There's a sense here that what builds resilient disciples is an understanding, good theology, and good thinking about our work and calling in the world. Not only that, the authors also have been able to kind of see that resilient disciples say that their churches help them live out their faith in the workplace. The church actually has a responsibility in cultivating and kind of stoking a fire in people to go out and live out in their vocations. Look at the next table. Resilient disciples are more engaged in their workplaces. So look at some of the questions here. I conduct myself in the workplace knowing that others are watching me. 80% of resilient disciples strongly agree with this statement. Or this statement, the work I do at my job aligns with the person God has made me to be. 63% of resilient disciples, this is how they respond. They strongly agree with that. Or or the work I do at my job is making a positive impact in the world. There's a connection there. 60% of resilient disciples say, yes, the work I do at my job is making a difference. It's making a positive impact in the world. 
So there's a deep connection here between resiliency and resilient disciples and work and vocation, and even how the church plays in the overall idea and thinking about people and their work and their jobs within the world. Sky Jathani, we're going to throw this up, does a great job talking about vocational aspirations of practicing Christian teens. And one of the things he points out is that according to the book of Genesis, God ordains work to accomplish three major things, to generate abundance, to bring order, and to cultivate beauty. And that's what we're called to do, to generate abundance, to bring order, and to cultivate beauty in the world. And a beautiful question is posed in all of this. What if the Christian community helps young people to better understand God's design for work and helps young Christians push against distortions of work gone wrong? What if we could be these kind of people that push forward the next generation in viewing their jobs, their careers, and their vocations differently? So one of the things that the research drew out in the surveys and different things that were sent out is how churches develop the next generation vocationally. And so they began to ask people about their experiences in church life and in their parish and, and faith community, and they, they asked for responses in which of these questions apply. So things like, I better understand my purpose in life. Only 24% of prodigals had that experience from their church growing up, while 74% of resilient disciples did. Or things like, I've learned how the Bible applies to my field of interest. It's, it's actually kind of sad because even only 57% of resilient disciples had experienced this in their upbringing within the church. I would say that's pretty low numbers, even for people that are, find themselves as resilient and following Jesus with heart, soul, mind, and strength. Or things like, I've received guidance on what schools or colleges to attend, or I've access to leadership training for my job through my church. Obviously, these are quite low numbers, even for resilient disciples at 28% and 25%, but look at prodigals, 9% and 8%. It's telling that the church at times has not done a great job, again, in leading the next generation into their vocation in the world. And yet the very call in scripture from the very beginning was to cultivate, to join God in his mission in the world, to fill the earth, and that actually goes, and the church is very important, the gathered church is very important, but that goes beyond Sunday services. Our churches, our communities, praxis needs to be a place that releases people into the world. And so let me just leave you with a few things that I think we can take away from this, because this is really important. All of us need to begin to think about our jobs and our work and what it means in this city where God has placed us. A few things that I think we can take from this. One, what you do is deeply integrated with who you are. What you do is deeply integrated with who you are. Sometimes we'll say things, well, it doesn't matter what you do, it's who you are. And there's part, absolute part truth in that. Your identity above anything else is the most important. But actually what you see in the scriptures is that people's identity is deeply connected then to what they do in the world. It should not be disconnected. Genesis 1 the image bearers, the proto-humans in the garden, they cultivate and, and what they do is deeply connected to who they are in their identity as being these ones that fill the earth, being these ones that are created in the image of God. You, my friends, and I, we are created in the image of God and that should not be disconnected by what we do with our jobs, our vocation, and where God has placed us in the world. You with me? This is, this is massive, just thinking through just how, how these two things are connected. But also say this, too, 
The sacred-secular divide needs to be shattered into a billion pieces. The sacred-secular divide needs to be shattered into a billion pieces. What has happened is we are more shaped by Neoplatonism in our moment than we are biblical theology. Plato ultimately thought that the soul is good and the body is bad. I think his big thing was is that the body is a prison house to the soul, that the, the soul was eternal and the thing that mattered and the body kind of was this prison to the soul. And can I just say that that, that is seeped into the church in so many ways. Again, this secular, sacred divide where certain things we do in church is, is uh, sacred and spiritual and then everything we do out there is secular. We need this to, to be blown up again into a bazillion pieces because this is not biblical theology. The body is not a prison to the soul. We are a body. You are a body. And remember, at resurrection, we will have a resurrected body. And we have to think about these things being integrated together. The problem is, there's actually no word in the Old Testament for spiritual, right? This is, this is actually a thing. There's not really a word in the Old Testament for spiritual. So if you were in the first century and you were to ask Jesus how his spiritual life is going, you know how we do that? Hey, how's your spiritual life going? If you were to ask Jesus how his spiritual life was going, he'd probably look at you a little funny because there's life. There's life. It's all integrated together. And I've seen it in my involvement in the church over the years. And again, I'm kind of harping on this, but people will look at certain things as spiritual and other things that are not. And we need to be very, very careful with that. You know, in my involvement in the church over the years, the worst thing I've seen is that we take talented amazing people, people that lead businesses and have all sorts of talents and gifts and ability, and we say to them that the sum of your spiritual life is coming to church and handing out bulletins once a month, even though we don't have bulletins. We're kind of this digital church or whatever, but you know, we, we say, hey, come once in a while and serve, and we need people to serve in our gatherings on Sundays. That's not what I'm saying, but we basically say the sum of your life is if you do this at a Sunday gathering. God has more for our lives than that. He wants to, us to live into this world and live into our vocation. So one, what you do is deeply integrated with who you are. Two, the sacred secular divide needs to be shattered. And I'll just say this, our work matters because God is not throwing this world out. This idea of vocation and work and resiliency and work that leads us to be resilient disciples, there's theology to this. If you believe that God is just going to burn this world up and throw it out, then I guess church services are the spiritual stuff and your work doesn't matter. But do you know that that's actually not the telos? That's not the end goal of creation? Did you know that God is not throwing this world out and that everything you do matters? Everything you do, from working on the line or teaching at that university or you know, staying at home. Maybe you're a stay-at-home parent and you're giving your life right now to your kids. Or maybe you're retired right now and you're pouring into the lives of others as a vocational uh, instinct in your life now in the second half of life. I don't know what it is. I just, all I want us to know is that everything we do matters because God is not throwing this world out. He's renewing it. And as we come alongside God with our work, with everything that we are, we need to take this seriously. If you haven't heard it, our work matters. 
You know, one of the things that sometimes I struggle with is I'm a pastor and work in a church, and sometimes that's seen as like the upper echelon of like vocation and calling, that, you know, the pastors and the missionaries or whatever, those are the called ones. But, you know, even as I think about my own family and my own kids, honestly, I do not care what they do. I just want them to serve Jesus in this good world for the glory of God with everything they do. And that's my hope for our church. And so, brothers and sisters, may we just remember that we live in a world, especially with younger generations, and you'll see this in the book, that our, we live in a world in a generation that is very ambitious. We live in an ambitious generation. But I pray through all of this that there's some grounding and that we could be a community that motivates and trains people to go out into the world. And this is actually one of the things I've been convicted about. This is one of the things I want to build in the future with our church is that we would be a community that launches you into the world to do everything you do for the glory of God. So let's think about this. And in a couple seconds here, some questions are going to come up on the screen as has come up throughout this entire series. Think through them, wrestle through them, maybe spend some time with the community and join in with other people in wrestling through them. But listen, I believe with everything within me, our work matters. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for our community and everybody that's watching and listening to this that you would use the talents, the gifts, the abilities that you've given us for this good city. And God, I pray that you would make us a church that leads people to flourish in life. I pray for the young people in our community that they would grow up and there would be such a culture within our own church that they would grow up and know you and want to serve you. And that means serving in all sorts of areas as students and workers and entrepreneurs and business people and whatever it is, God, I pray that we would do everything that we have for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Brothers and sisters, have an amazing week. We love you. Let's wrestle. Let's chew on this as we go.